0: Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope To Hear This podcast. Today I have Pastor David Park with me and we talk about the Korean American church and some of the things that we think could be improved. um, Some of the ways that we could be more effective in making disciples and with COVID going around and putting everyone in virtual services, we think that post COVID would be a opportune time to explore some of these things, explore some of the ways that we can shift um to be more effective. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy. Hello Pastor David, welcome to the podcast. Um thank you so much for yeah, being here with us today.
1: Thanks for having me, David. It's an honor to be here.
0: I oh, know, the honor is all mine. Um and before we get into the conversation today, um yeah, we we chatted a little bit yesterday. It was you know, I, I remember mentioning, I wish I had I was recording yesterday because our conversation was, it was so like insightful and rich. Um, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. But um, before we get into the meat of the conversation, I was wondering if you could just give us a brief introduction of, you know, who you are uh, and what, what you do.
1: Oh, wow. Um, geez, I guess briefly, I'm a pastor of a local church called Open Table Community. I'm a photographer, real estate investor and, uh, gotten into business model coaching.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. How do you do all of that? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I think the secret is not to do any of those things very well, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, have a lot of, I guess, side hobbies and things that I enjoy doing and, um, yeah, that's how I got into this.
0: Oh, wow. So wait, can can ask a question about business model coaching is, um, yeah. What what exactly is that?
1: So there's this um, thing called the business model generation, or using a business model canvas. So it's a template for how to sort of walk through explaining a business model process. Mm-hmm. So it's a visual template that helps you sort of uh, uh, sort of discern how your business operates and how you sort of meet customer needs and mm-hmm. create value. So it's really good for startups or even long time standing businesses for them to review to see like, Hey, how did the mechanics of us reaching our audience or the people that we're wanting to serve? How does it actually work?
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. How did you get into that?
1: Well, well, um, I had been interested in it with a friend of mine. Um, but, uh, I got certified and went through a workshop during COVID. So mm. um, that really helped and it gave me a model to work from. And there was this online training with which included people from all around the world for, uh, gosh, two or three months. I forget exactly how long, but basically you just run this sort of template over and over and and that's, that's how you sort of get certified.
0: Oh, interesting. So um, if there are any people out there listening and, you know, cause so many small businesses got started during COVID times. Um, yeah. if, if there are people out there listening who want guidance on that, can they reach out to you? Of course.
1: Yeah. That's what I'd like to do.
0: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So you guys, you guys heard it here. Um, please reach out to Pastor David if uh, uh, you need guidance on that. Um, so, uh, and, and um, the, the thing that kind of, I, I wanted to talk about um, today. Yeah. I actually reached out to Pastor David um not really knowing what i wanted to talk about but when we were talking yesterday it was clear to me um, like one really interesting thing that isn't really talked about amongst um, our circles is um, yeah, just about the korean church and so I, I wanted to ask you first of all um open table community like i i looked at the website it, it doesn't look like a i'm sure it's not a korean american church right it's like the the staff at least looked very diverse
1: um, yeah I don't I don't think it's a Korean American church at all mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's a hard church to describe, but uh, I think one of the things that we're focusing on is really trying to be communal mm-hmm. and also trying to ask questions about restructuring church mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes the structure of church is uh, prevents it from being reimagined or restructured. So uh, we're we try to ask those questions. Uh, regularly who is the church really for Mm -hmm. and how do we make sure the church is designed to meet the people that it's really for
0: yeah and i I think um, when you talk about restructuring church um that's the thing that was really interesting to me and i wanted to get deeper into Um, but uh before that can you because when we talked yesterday you, you, you mentioned how you were a youth group pastor at a korean american church before um, but now you are at a church that is not Korean American. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, um, like, what were some of the motivations of leaving the Korean American church? Not, not that it's wrong to leave leave the Korean American church. Yeah, but, not at all. Um, just um, like your motivations for that, and and some of the things um, that you see about the Korean American church, both as an insider and now as kind of an outsider.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, So just for full disclosure, uh, my dad uh, was an immigrant pastor, church pastor as well. So from the age of nine, um, he when I was at least from from the age when I was nine, he had been pastoring uh, or planting churches uh, in in the southeast uh, United States for most of my life, um, most of my adult life, for sure. Um, So when I started going back, so I had a bit of a wilderness season in my 20s. Mm. And then when I came back to church, um, it was to sort of a multi-ethnic and charismatic setting Mm. um, in in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, when I moved to Atlanta, uh, I realized that, um, you know, there was more strength in the Korean community. And so I returned to sort of an immigrant church, you know. And they had an English ministry there. And so um, I um, I really enjoyed meeting at a Korean church and sort of found like, oh, this is, I've been missing certain things. And then I got to see, uh, Atlanta is the one of, the, I think it's the biggest city I've lived in. Um, most I grew up most of my life in the Southeast as a Korean American kid. And um, seeing all these Koreans or this sort of stronger, critical mass of Korean community, uh, was really invigorating mm. and exciting. But I think one of, the, one of the things that sort of gave me a sort of alternative voice was my wife. Uh, I, When I moved to Atlanta, I almost immediately got married to uh, someone I had been dating for uh, four or six years prior. Um, but she's not Korean. She's uh, Indian American, mm-hmm. South Asian. Um, so um, we we went to a, an Indian church as well, just for sort of getting a broad palette. And um, she wasn't raised Christian. She was actually raised Hindu. Mm. So then when we had this sort of new lens of sort of visiting ethnic churches, we started to recognize like, are there some beautiful things about this church, but also like, hey, this doesn't quite fit like us. Or there are some things that um, feel really, um, I don't know what to say, like Uh, There's a bubble here, which is either both a bubble of safety and comfort. But but one of the things that because my wife became Christian later in life, she just asked some really good questions about like like really sort of puzzling questions. Like, why, why do churches have walls? And, you know, you start thinking because she was like, I had to wait, you know, until my 20s to really hear the gospel. So why don't you do everything possible to make sure people hear it? And it was like, so she was like, I don't think churches should have walls. I think you should, you know, make sure that even people walking by, driving by, that they could hear the gospel, even incidentally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's a good question. Well, I guess uh, maybe they they do it to make sure they don't waste air conditioning. You know, you know and you're just trying to rat like, I don't know. And then uh, why do you have Christian radio stations? I know, you, well, it's because people don't want to hear the bad language of other songs. But she was like, well, then why aren't you at least pushing out your music to other stations? And I was like, well, maybe they don't want to hear Christian music. She was like, I understand that you don't want the world's music or this type of gangster rap on your station. I get that. But there's some goodness in your music. You have a message to your music that you should be trying to get out to other stations. And, and that was like, really started to beg some questions about like, Hey, why is it that we're insulating ourselves from the world rather than engaging it? And so, um, while I did serve in the Korean church as a youth pastor for a few years, um, I had some friends after sort of the significant class of the youth had graduated and the church had had a, endured a number of splits before I had got there. So by the time i had gotten there, it was a pretty small group. And I just tried to make sure the, that the majority of them graduated. Um, and then I sort of said, I think it's time for me to uh, go to seminary and sort of pursue some of these questions that I've been asking about, are multi-ethnic or sort of cultural gifts that we bring to the body. Mm-hmm. But then I started asking questions about what cultural sins do we also bring into the body that we might need to address? And, ah. and that's what sort of took me to seminary. And so I said, well, maybe it's good if I get out of Korean space so I can at least sort of start to see and, and understand a little bit better from a different headspace.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating because when I think about, like, the, the good things that Korean American churches bring is like, especially for the first generation, they have the dawn prayer, right? Where wow. they go to church at like 6am every morning. Um, I'm convinced that I made it through college because my mom was praying over me, like all those mornings, like that's really good, but I can think of also really bad things as well. Um, one of the things is, um, so this is kind of my biggest critique of the Korean American church is the, it's kind of a joking saying is uh, white churches, they multiply by planting churches. Korean churches multiply by splitting churches, you know. So uh, I definitely like resonate with what you're saying. But do you have any other examples of some of those um, things that you found that were like gen- a cultural sins or, or maybe even blessings?
1: Well, um, I, I think that Koreans in general, both in business and in church, we tend to imitate Um, to the point of um, I think we really care about getting the action right. Mm -hmm. And even our theology, we want to make sure it's right. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a book actually, I think it was a Harvard, Harvard business book where uh, the scholar was making the claim that Koreans, what Koreans do really well is they make copies really well. So when Mm -hmm. Motorola came out with this phone, Samsung or LG came out with this copy that looked very similar but they were offering at a cheaper price, you know, Um, even now, like uh, Kia was Kia cars. Sometimes they look like, Oh, I see where they borrowed this thing from BMW and they have borrowed this look from Mercedes Benz. And I think that's sort of, we do that spiritually as well. We, Mm -hmm. we borrow heavily from John Piper Hillsong. We, we to the point where it's hard to see uh, where our cultural distinctiveness is and maybe could be mm. um, so one of my big sort of i've been harping on this for uh over a decade now is that when our worship is borrowed when the la- when our vocabulary for worship and liturgy is borrowed language it's the it's the equivalent of using a hallmark card and trying to give it to your significant other to say like i feel i feel like That's what I, 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 this is how I feel, but it's Mm -hmm. not how I feel. Those are just the Hallmark words. Some writer for Hallmark wrote those words and I just sign it, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, me too. Love David, you know? And, uh, unfortunately I don't know if God, like it might be beautiful worship coming out of Hillsong and David Crowder and, and passion and all that, but it's still not authentic to ourselves and it may not address our deep needs and deepest wounds.
0: Yeah, and I, I remember I talked about this on this podcast um, with the previous guest. When you walk into, like, a Caucasian church, you can kind of tell, like, even if you're not looking, you hear it. Like, when you walk into, like, a black church, yeah. even if you're not looking, you can hear, oh, this is a different type of church. But when you walk into a Korean church, it, you can be like, oh, this might be a white church. This might not be. Like, there's, like you were saying, there's not this distinct, I mean, even just to like narrow it down even in our worship there's not a distinct way that we we do it but um what would be the solution for that because i've I've heard about this and i i recognize that as a as an issue as well but when it comes to like trying to really figure out how do we make it authentically us um authentically korean like i couldn't really come up with a, a way to go about doing that do you do you have any thoughts on that
1: yeah, so I think the first part is to actually recognize this tendency exists, right? Whether it's K-pop, whether it's business, whether it's uh, church, if it's true, like if if the hypothesis sort sort of resonates, like hey, we we actually have this tendency to borrow other people's language models, uh, liturgy. What would it like? That's one of the reasons why we have such a hard time actually forming language for ourselves is because we don't have we number one we don't want to acknowledge it number two it's like well real we're really damn good at it so that's why we don't do it is we're so good at imitating like i know people that can pull off the choruses of hillsong to the t like it's like yeah i can get why it's a it's it's actually easier to hide behind these performances than to actually be yourself but we actually have to come uh, from behind the curtain, we have to come from behind our instruments and actually say, who are we before God and before our community? What wounds do we have that need to be uh, negotiated and confessed openly? And I think once we can actually name that sin of performance and and hiding behind the, the imitation of others, then I think we can actually do some real work. But the real work does involve uh, addressing our our collective trauma, our collective tendency for uh, addiction to work, addiction to performance, addiction to shaming, addiction to all kinds of things, um, yeah. even hedonism, right? I mean, those things are running rampant in consumerism, where those things will not be transformed by the gospel until we can actually name them and confess them and then repent. Hmm. You know, pretending like we can do church without doing those things. I mean, that's exactly what the enemy wants: is to have a a group of collective churches that that have no flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're we're benignly f- saying that we believe in Jesus, but we have no backbone.
0: Mm. Wow. So then, and just because of the way that I I think um, it, I just need to be able to. Swallow like actionable things. Um, yeah. So, would one of the ways. So, I, I hear you when you say like we gotta recognize it and, and like repent of it. So that yeah. that's really actionable. That's that's good. um But do you think? Because because you used a hill song as an example of something that we kind of hide behind. Like, would it even require something as big as like producing our own like worship music and things like that?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think. Mm. uh you know, one of the things that's different from the African-American community versus the Asian-American community, and this is, again, we're we're painting in very broad strokes here, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the in the African-American community, uh, they have preachers as young as 13, 12, 11. If they sense the gift of preaching in you or that you have something to say, even if you're not a preacher, but you got something to say, mm-hmm. they will encourage that. Hey, hey, boy, say it with your chest. Like, come on out. Like, say it again. say it louder, you know, and that type of encouragement, that type of like, hey, you, you have something of value and you may not think that it's value, but, but, but the community wants to affirm you and bring that out. Whereas I think of myself in a, growing up in a Korean setting is like, even if I thought I had something to say, well, who am I to say Mm it? Number one, number two, why would anybody listen to me? I have no degree no you know I'm not ordained like I have tons of disqualifying reasons right you know so I think one of the things that our generation can sort of help do is to say like your song may not be as good as so-and-so's song you may not be any Chris Tomlin but you know what we don't know any David Shins (laughs) and we need David Shin to write us a song for our community Mm. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. We need a preacher like David Shin, not like John Piper. I can listen to him on YouTube. I can find whomever on somewhere else. But this is the only place that I can get somebody to preach who looks like me, grew up like me, is fighting the same demons as me. And I need you to preach from that space. Mm -hmm. And I think once we start to say like, hey, say it with your chest, say it louder rather than who are you? (laughs) You know you know, what, what are you? Yeah. You know, that, that type of attitude needs to be like put aside Mm. because we've been suppressing voices, both women, children, and then the unordained, the unqualified, the unprofessional. What we have to recognize is the Christian life is not professional. Mm. It's, it's for the amateur. It's for the novice it's for the intermediate like we need to make sure that people who are following Jesus can do this from a young age. Mm-hmm. There's no junior Holy Spirit if a if a 10 year old is feeling like, hey, I feel like the spirit is calling you this we need to affirm that not to say like you are 10, go back and listen to your mom you ain't got nothing to say like we need to stop that sort of cultural suppression yeah we actually need to encourage that and say like you know what in Korea, we would have to qualify you and vet you and the Tommy you, and this and this and that. And you're, but we need to actually say, you know what, this is actually a very unique space to be in a Korean American or Asian American space is actually a very unique space yeah. in our culture and society. And we need to make sure that the part of the uniqueness is that is an affirmation and other aspects of their world. Their affirmation comes from their academic performance, their athletic performance, their musical performance, their other like, who knows, TikTok numbers, Instagram numbers. But here at the church, we're actually not looking for a performance. We actually want to validate that the spirit moves in you. And that is for you, for you to actually become a world changer. But that happens at the community level. You can't just, you know, grow up and say, I'm a world changer. That comes with the community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when I hear that, like, I think i get it but one of the pushbacks might be well what if we put someone on the pulpit and they say something really like yeah really wrong right yeah um so like how 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 would you address that concern
1: so that's that's a great point so um black churches would have um uh somebody preach in front of like the small groups before they they're allowed to do it at big church so to speak Mm -hmm. Um, i think similar things need to be done in in a a korean-american setting too but But I think one of the things that's really good for us, and this is why I think the idea of reimagining or restructuring church is so important, is if when we give that kind of responsibility, hey, you are preaching the word for the congregation so that God might speak to his people, right? That's a pretty high mantle, big mantle. And so when we get to that point, we really want to make sure that there are many workshops and also this is really important too is that there is dialogue that there is feedback because again this is something the black church does really well like hey preach it say it again say it louder that type of uh, that type of dialogue with the preacher allows him to know in real time oh yeah this this is the spirit affirming mm. I mean, there are lots of times where the you know the crowd can go quiet and lean in and listen and be like oh, i'm not sure how i feel about that now, again, I think we're we're probably from more of an intellectual or cognitive bent where, you know, Bible studies might need to be more participatory, or you could have discussions about that where the, you know, other pastors or other preachers can say like, hey, you know, it's interesting is in, I think it's um, first or second Kings where they talk about the school of prophets, right? So I almost think you can have a school of preachers or a school of prophets as well as to say like, hey tell me where you got to that point. David, you preached this on Sunday. Hey, can you tell me where you, why, why did you make that pivot here? I've always felt in my experience that this happens when the Holy spirit does this, you know, and then we can have a dialogue as opposed to like, Oh, I don't think, I don't think David should ever preach again here. I don't think, you know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Oh, I don't know if that's right. I don't, I disagree. I make sure he never does that, has the chance to do that again. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. think that's really dangerous to the, Again, the future and the leadership pipeline and the preaching pipeline of a of a dynamic and uh, living organic church community.
0: Yeah, and when you first mentioned the, like the cultural sins that we need to recognize and kind of weed out, yeah, I think you 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 got to you hit a se- you hit several of them, right? And one of the things culturally that we have is this hierarchy in terms of age. Um, but then that leads to a lot of just suppression of younger voices that uh, i mean timothy in the bible was really young but paul encouraged him and told him don't be discouraged because of of his of his youth but the other thing that you just talked about is um that the whole like shame culture Mm -hmm. that we have of like when we see someone like messing up like that instead of like being able to just confront that and say hey let's talk about it we tend to you know get into our little bubbles of gossip and say okay let's not let this happen again um let's I think there's the idea is that we're trying to shield them from shame. But I think in doing so, we don't really lo- uh, leave a lot of room for growth. Right. Um, so I, I t- what you're saying makes total sense to me. And one other thought um is, I think the idea of encouraging people to talk can only happen when you like know what they're saying. But um, That's the, right. the model of church, um one of the things that, I think mega churches, I mean, they do good work. There are things that they do well. Um, they are yes. positive influences for sure, like Hillsong and all of them. But um, if the church is structured in a way where there's one head pastor and thousands of people just being led by one head pastor, then it's impossible for that head pastor to really know what those thousands of people are saying and thinking, right? Absolutely. Uh, so would you say that, that that's another kind of a restructuring thing that needs to be considered in terms of like how we do discipleship within the church?
1: Absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, in, in Ephesians, you see sort of the fivefold offices of the, you know, offices, of apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, you know, evangelists. So when you see that uh, model, and we only have pastors, you know, sort of uh, employed by the church, we need a head pastor. Well, why not a prophet? Oh, because that we don't why, why not? Mm. You know, uh, so I think that because of that absence, you have people that have gifts to equip the body for the, for, for, to, to love and serve God, but they're, they're, they're not given any place. And so uh, I think it's very dangerous uh, regarding that. So I, I think that we need to figure out how to flatten the structure a little bit. Mm. It's too top down. I think it's, I think the, obviously the modern conception of church is really based on sort of a corporate model, like, Oh, the CEO, you know, that type of model. But I think it works for business. If you have a product, if you have a consumer, but to model the church after that is very dangerous to our souls.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm just thinking through that because it is so true. Um, When you look at the, even the bigger organizations of, like the Southern Baptist convention or, or like the synods of like the Presbyterian church. It's, it is very like the, the hierarchy it is very like ordered. It looks like an organization chart, like that you would find out a business. Yeah. So it, do you have any thoughts on how, like, what are some steps? Like, let's say a, a pastor is listening to this and says, you know what? I agree with what they're saying. Um, let's try to flatten our church a little bit. Like, what are some actionable things that you think they can do to try to get there? Or is it not as simple as that?
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure you can tweak it. I mean, you can tweak it. I think there are very bold and daring and courageous pastors that are all the time tweaking and and trying to figure out. But I'm not so sure that this can be done incrementally without critiquing the system. Hmm. But I do think we do need a reinvention of a system. Hmm. Uh, because if the system is not overhauled, then I think we're assuming that the status quo will repair itself. But I, I think in your generation and my generation, I've seen a lot of people walk away from the church altogether. Yeah. And so if you said like, hey, we're not going to play this kind of music. We're going to play a different kind of music. Oh, we're not going to preach for 45 minutes. We're going to preach for 30 minutes. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They're not coming back. That's not why they're leaving. There's, they're leaving because there's no sense of reflection and invention about what it means to be the body of Christ in the world. And the current model, I mean, even if we say like, you know, this model has been held in high regard since the 80s, the mega church, mm-hmm. And whether you're a small church or not, a lot of small churches... Are still mega churches just in mini form. Like they're structured and their goals and their tools and the mediums for what they are doing is the same as a mega church. They're just not there yet. Hmm. And maybe they don't have the personality to pull it off, maybe they don't have the tools to pull it off. But that's still what they're aspiring to. But I think we have to question whether or not the mini mega church or the mega church is functional in terms of a disciple making organization at all. Hmm. And I I, I submit that I don't think it is. Hmm.
0: So, I mean, because to me, when I hear um, this conversation, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it as we're talking, so this might not be a, let me know if this doesn't sound right. Um, sure,
1: sure. I don't know exactly kind of <laughs> anything either, so your guess <laughs> no. is as good as mine.
0: But it, it's, it just sounds like there needs to be like actual disciple making. Um, That's right. I think the buck right now in a lot of churches, the buck stops at the pastor. Like the pastor holds all the responsibility, like um, in terms of just everything, like preaching, setting up programs at church, everything it's at the pastor's level. And they delegate a few things to, you know, some of the lay leaders Um, like me, like I'm a lay leader at my church. Some things get delegated to me, but ultimately the buck stops with my pastor. Right. Mm. So it sounds like to me that there needs to be a model where um, the pastor isn't doing everything
1: yeah um, that's right
0: where because i and i always like going back to this jesus really only discipled disciple like 12 people um like he didn't really when it started looking like there was going to be a mega church forming around him he yeah. like re, he retreated right yeah right um so it sounds like to me that um first of all pastors need to equip people to be kind of like maybe for lack of a better term mini pastors within the congregation that's right that's right um, and maybe, and not to put everything on the pastor, like people who attend churches need to be more invested and yes. be willing to become many pastors.
1: We're, yes. Hmm. I, I, th- I think that's part hmm. of the key, right. Hmm. Is if you came to church, uh, so like when you go to the gym, you don't just watch the guy run a spin class mm-hmm. and be like, well, you know, maybe someday I, 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 I could, I could probably do that, you right. know? you actually have to get on a spin cycle yourself, right? And have to be, okay, we're doing this, butts up, like, hey, we're doing a countdown and all that stuff. You have to do that with the, the teacher. So that's one aspect of discipleship too. But also to say, like, why is it that we come to church not expecting to speak at all, like not mm-hmm. expecting to engage the word at all? I expect somebody to have a prepackaged feed me with the word, but mm-hmm. We, we, we need to actually create a culture where we're expected to engage right away like okay i want you to you know the, i like how presbyterians like they say like oh so this person's going to read the word for us today but they're not going to teach on it so you know it's kind of a mere formality like okay whatever <laughs> i'll just i'll read it for myself okay he's gonna read it. okay whatever but what if it was like i'm reading it but i give my hey this is my first take I'm reading for the first time, but then we say like, okay, somebody who sat with this text all week, they're gonna also follow me. And then somebody who's been wrestling with this text for 10 years, mm-hmm. they're gonna follow. So you can see cumulative way of reading scripture, this text today, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, it would be really interesting if we had more people like programmed to, to share. Oh, you know, uh, I, I know that a lot of people guard the table uh, pretty carefully. Uh, you know, who can lead communion, or, you know, sometimes we are just holding the bread and be like, oh, the body of Christ broken, but what it it would be like for us to lead communion, there's no scriptural reason why people can't say, this is what Jesus has done for me. I mean, we have people that, um, the way it's been described for me is like, if you can lead a toast at a banquet, Mm -hmm. or at your house and say like, hey, guys, thanks for coming over. I just want to shout out, thanks, blah, blah, I can't, you know, let's, let's have a toast for life, you know, for a good life. If you can do that at your house, that's what Jesus did with the bread. Like, this is my body broken for you so Mm. that we might have life. And we're, we're going to be able to celebrate this same meal with Jesus again. Mm. Let's all eat. You know, this is like a, a foreshadowing of what is to come. Well, who, why, why is it that only pastors, elders do this? Mm. I should know how to do this. And, and one of the, the sort of, the sort of, things we say at open tables, like every table, your kitchen table, you know, your coffee table, these are all communion tables. Wow. We need to th- change our mindset around who can do say what and mm-hmm. do what we should all be at least licensed, you know, permitted to fail, but definitely try.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Cause one of the things that, I mean, because I'm a lay leader, um, like I'm very involved at my church. So I like everything you're saying really is like yeah, that's that's how a church should be done. And I think that's how a church is being done right now. But when I think about some of the people um at our church like they think they consider going to service and listening to the sermon as kind of enough. Um they come in, they listen to the sermon and say, "Oh, that that was good. That, that'll hold me over for a week." And they don't engage in any of the conversations that can happen afterwards mm. like one of the things that we try to do with our um so, so we have small group um like 30 minutes after the service mm. and you know we, we we encourage everyone to talk and we, we read a bible verse and we, we try to get people's perspective on it and like it's a very open forum right but ah, those great. are those are really um they're not popular like a <laughs> lot of like when yeah. we do it it's pretty much like the, a lot of times it's just the leadership team um and like mm. People like like the, I mean, I don't want to call it just regular congregation members, but for lack of better terms, just a regular everyday congregation member, they don't like coming to those things. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess it's a challenge for um, for those people as well, right? To to say, hey, like, let's try to engage more. Um, and and is there anything that we can tell? Like, can you think of anything that we can tell them to entice them or maybe like motivate them to be more engaged?
1: Well, if you want to change the culture, you have to recognize you're not going to make everybody happy. You have to you have to warn them that church is not meant to be comfortable all the time. And then ultimately, like you said about leadership, if if leaders want followers to begin to lead, leaders have to lead less. Mm. So it's very threatening to the identity of the leader. Because why what made you a leader? Well, you're good at what you do. Well, what if we t- said, "Hey, David, we know you're good at this, but I actually need you to not do it as much." and let somebody who's not as good at, as you are to try it even if it feels like, "Oh man, why I could do that I could, why are you doing that? you know right right when when we have worship leaders who aren't as good of musicians and still can worship, then we're we're getting somewhere. I realize I've been preaching at open table for over ten years. If I'm the only preacher in the room after ten years, I'm doing something wrong. I might be a good preacher, but it's not enough for me to be a good preacher. That's the same thing as somebody saying i'm the I'm the best spin class teacher here. Well, after ten years, there should be at least somebody as good as you are and you might be over functioning as a spin teacher, you know so right. Same way. It's like, uh, if we really care about discipleship and and you should give yourself some time frame. like in three years, I should be able to sort of walk away from this and, and, and take a sabbatical or in seven years or in 10 years. But without that mentality, I think we all tend to uh, have this sort of identity that this is who I am and this is what I do. But I think Jesus is always his example. Like you said, he models something that's sort of transient, that, that is, I'm not going to be here Mm. for I'm here for now, but I'm not always going to be here. And I think if our churches don't understand, like even our best pastors, if they don't fill us with the sense of like, you know what? I need to anticipate my pastor not being here because the church is not about the pastor. The church is about following Jesus. But I'm going to assume, or I'm going to correlate my church with this pastor. Mm. That's the wrong correlation.
0: Yeah. And I I think... One of the things we talked about yesterday that is relevant to this is, like, we we see the danger in that, right? Because even the most kind of, I guess, famous pastors, like they mm-hmm. can, their ministries can fall apart within seconds. Um, one of the uh, the pastors we talked about yesterday was like a uh, Hillsong New York's uh, Carl Lentz. You know, he's a big celebrity pastor. Um, <laughs> oh, is that Sorry. your dog? No, interrupted it's
1: okay. by my dog. Yeah
0: oh it's like okay. it's okay um yeah like i i don't know because i don't go to that church but i can imagine that there are some people that go to hillsong new york that were devastated um yeah. and maybe even like questioned their faith because sure. because of that right sure. i mean for me personally when uh ravi zacharias i mean he, mm. he, he passed but after his passing um news of like se- sexual misconduct came up Mm. and when it first came up if i'm going to be honest i i said no no way like that has to be false someone's trying to tarnish his legacy yeah but the uh the ravi zacharias ministry actually came out with a statement saying hey we investigated and it's looking like it's true um it was like hard for me to take he wasn't my personal pastor it was just someone i looked up to but even for me it was like oh whoa um so I, i think there definitely is danger in having a single pastor model where um yeah like people's faith is almost connected to that pastor right yeah yeah um so but as let me ask you as a pastor when you see things like that happen like what what do you think like what are the emotions that you go through do you just say oh that person wasn't a good pastor or like do you
1: no um, i think he's human Mm -hmm. I think when you create a celebrity, because so, so there's a sort of um, there's this cultural milieu that we're all sort of swimming in, which is to say, when you have consumerism, you're creating consumers and you're creating celebrities at the same time. You're creating ambassadors, right? And when you sort of idolize those ambassadors, you create a very unhealthy power dynamic where people who flock, when you anybody who gets groupies, I don't care whether you lead thirty. Or fifty, or hundred, or thousand, just to it is it, there is something weird, and I mean it's so funny because social media is starting to bring this out. When I think in my head, I get in this idea that oh, a hundred people are watching me. You you kind of act differently. It changes mm-hmm. like well, I better make sure I write this text because I'm speaking to dozens, you know, and it's, right, right. right. It does something to you. So when, when somebody like Rava Zacharias, who has the ear and admiration of thousands, yeah. it does, it does something to you. And for any human, any of us who have needs and desires and addictions and wounds, we're all prone to fall into these sort of snags hmm. because there's like adoring people. and, I don't care if it's a you're at a small church or a huge church or a huge ministry or whatever. I think that that temptation is there. And it is fine. Or I guess it's not fine. It is natural for us to be like, oh, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. I can believe it. If you were in that spot, if somebody put a spotlight on you, tens of thousands of people adoring you, taking note of your shoes and oh my gosh your turn of phrase oh my gosh like take that sound bite you know retweet that taking videos of you wanting to take pictures with you wanting wanting wait, waiting for when are you gonna preach again David oh Pastor what that that does something to you but that's yeah. never meant to be which is why Jesus subverts his own popularity mm-hmm. which is why Jesus hangs out with Pharisees as well as prostitutes and drunkards and gluttons and the lepers, this this kind of Jesus, this kind of celebrity, we don't really understand. And the celebrities that do that, even in our time, we actually like, I mean, he's great, but it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? And Uh I think that's where if Ravi Zacharias was celebrated by the poor as much as he was celebrated by the scholars, I think that would be like, okay, this guy's a whole person he's sober but i'm telling you anytime he's just like the darling of this man be careful yeah you don't know that you don't know that dude
0: (laughs) right right yeah and then that's and that's sobering uh, when you say he's he's human um because whenever things like when like the whole carl so ravi zacharias was a different thing when the carl Lentz thing happened like i was like i'm not surprised that guy like that, that's, I mean, in my, I don't think that's the proper, that that's the proper reaction um, to a pastor falling, like, or <laughs> falling to sin like that. But I right. thought that, and the next thought was, man, if I was in his position, that would never happen to me.
1: Oh, man, you don't know.
0: Exactly. So I oh, think, man. I think, um, yeah, it's uh, to, to know that, um, I think should uh, influence and inform pastors around us um, of why this restructure restructuring thing we're talking about why it's it's important um to yeah because no one knows how they're going to react in front of temptation like that right so yeah um to kind of subvert that and say um the the church's faith and the the standing of this church is not going to be on my shoulders but it's going to be spread out to to the people of the church i think that just makes more sense yeah. Um, yeah structurally and for for people's faiths um, for to give people room to grow all of that I think it makes total sense to me yeah yeah so how do we get there um, any thoughts on how can we because to me I mean I'm I'm convinced I, I think that's the way that the church needs to move um, I think um, we should be encouraging churches to adopt this kind of model quote-unquote that, that we've kind of discussed um, but can you think of well first of all, let me ask you this. Do you have you shared this with people who've shown opposition to it, who've pushed back on wanting to do something like this?
1: I don't know. I'm I mean, the I I don't think I'm that original. I think, like you said, you've you've been thinking a lot of thoughts like this yourself. I've been thinking a lot of thoughts. Um, I think the question is, is can you do it in this wineskin? Can like if you like you're a lay leader at your church, would your church allow you to say to your pastor, like, Hey, let's, let's reinvent the wheel. Like, I know I'm a lay leader, but why don't you make us all lay leaders and just put us on a rotation basis? I know you preach every Sunday or 49 out of 52 Sunday. How about you preach just for five minutes? And then you say, I'm giving the rest of the sermon and then have us rotate. So you do the introduction and we'll all do the middle and the conclusion. Would that be okay? I don't know if they can do it. And and here's the thing like I'm a pastor as well, but I I feel like I have um failed in the common sense. Mm. Because I have failed in the common sense, like I recognize like our church isn't really going to be popular. <laughs> the way we're doing it, it's not going to be popular. Why? Because I don't like you're if you come in, if you're an introvert at all, like oh, I, you're asking everybody to share how they're doing, like you're going to okay, we're all going to speak here. We're going to share. We're all going to say this prayer together. You know, if you're an introvert, you're kind of like turned off. Mm. Oh, I feel so uncomfortable. And it takes, I think it took uh, Open Table when we started doing more dialogue and stuff. I would say it took a year and a half before every Sunday, maybe not every Sunday, but very frequently over a year before it became like, yeah, this we're weird. This is what we do. Mm. But before it was just like, that's weird. I'm not doing it. Mm. You know, yeah. anytime you break the form and you keep saying the church is not meant for your comfort, the church is meant for your transformation. Mm-hmm. The church is not meant for your comfort. It's meant for your transformation. And you keep saying that and you do it and you actually do it. You will start to find that people have, oh, but I'm uncomfortable here and they don't know what to do with their discomfort. So then you actually have to say, what does Christ teach us to do? You know, and you have to sort of walk. This also is discipleship. Because at some point, shouldn't the church make you uncomfortable? Right. You know, we can't make you feel. What are you going to do if Jesus makes you uncomfortable? You know, it's, it starts to build on itself. But I think that's where we have to recognize the church. In order for to build resilient Christians, we also need resilient churches, and that means the church needs to risk dying. The church needs to risk loss, because that's what it means for you. Personally to evangelize, personally to sort of forsake your finances or the next job or the next whatever. It's gonna feel risky to you, right? Well, the collectively we should take risks. Collectively, we should figure out, hey, you know what? We've had a we have a great church, but I think God's called us to more than this. You guys want to do it? And I think it's very hard being I, I have sat in those tables and I've seen organizations say that's just too high of a price to pay. And it, here's why I say it's a systemic issue. Pastors that go to um, evangelical or sort of private seminaries, those are very expensive. It's an expensive education. So guess what? That means when they come out of seminary, they need a high-paying job. Okay, if you want a high-paying job, guess what? Make sure that you're going to be able to pay them. Lots of people. Do lots of people like to be uncomfortable at church? No. Do they want to hear a great sermon? Do they want to see a good production and a well-performed service? Yes. So the risk to be bold as a Christian and then a Christian community, it's almost sabotaged from the start. So that's why I say it has to actually the, the, the most potential for change comes from the grassroots. Hmm. People like you who say like, I know I don't have a huge seminary bill. I have other bills that I need to pay, but I could do that doing other things. It's honestly why like, you know, you, you asked how I got into all this other stuff, you know, business model and, and photography. It's because I believe that I need to be bivocational. I need to model it. I need to figure out what it feels like to earn my paycheck in other ways than just, Oh, please come to my church. You know, mm. I can, Oh, I I can preach better. Oh, you come to, come to my church. Our worship is amazing. What does that mean? Our worship is amazing here. How about, does anybody say our discipleship is amazing here? Yeah. Uh, the people that are in our church are changing the city. That doesn't happen. Well, the people in our church come to our church. That's what makes them great. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's a huge, uh, um, It's 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 settling for far less than what the gospel has asked of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's that's so good. Um I I understand that. And I think the full circle that's that happens when you know we stop caring about the paycheck, quote unquote, and really invest into people. Um, I think what's gonna happen is there are gonna be people who come about and say, you know, like our pastor is working multiple jobs, Um, let's support him. Or her so that they don't have to work multiple jobs like i think that's eventually like where we can get to because um the thing i always i, I think about a lot is like the church in x right um mm, after yeah. because no one was really in need I and mean, people when they saw each other's needs they took care of each other um people got a lot and yes. so like that's like the perfect image of what i think a church should be and i think that's what a church could be um yes we bought into it right yes um but i think you're exactly right when you say we need to let go of this corporate structure that we have. Yes. Um and, and some of the shackles that we have um in terms of like finances or maybe even the claim. Like I think some pastors might even be in a place where it's not about the paycheck, but they want the claim of many, many people, um, mm-hmm. instead of like investing into, you know, a, a few that can then invest into other few and, and so on yeah, and so forth. That's right. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is a really timely conversation because mm-hmm. um, COVID, I think <laughs> it it did a lot to the church. I think it shook up the church. Um, some of the people who are kind of just casual attendees, I, I think a lot of them, um, I mean, I, this, I can't speak for all churches, but at my church, um, at least, there are a lot of people who were kind of just casual that n- never really tuned in to the mm-hmm. online services, never really came to the zoom bible studies and things like that so i mean it, it happened anyways Um, I mean, no matter how much the pastors didn't want it to happen it happened so it might be an opportune time to really consider this structure consider yeah. you know the more the flattened version of church where um god can use many people to speak to teach yeah. to lead um so yeah uh, thank you so much for for that for your thoughts on this because oh
1: yeah thanks for entertaining them
0: no, no. And I think it's it's really important. Um, and um, I, I know, yeah, people listening, I think even if you're not a pastor at your church, I think this is something that you need to really think about and consider um, maybe even bringing it up to your pastors. Because um, we we all want, we always talk about the Great Commission, go out and make disciples. Uh, but we always turn it into um, go out and tell people about your pastor so that your pastors can make disciples like mm. uh, i don't think we take it as a personal thing i think we we think about it as a commissioning right. of the church rather than like a personal thing because you you are the church right that's right um, and so supremely important conversation we're having today i think pastor david
1: oh i i hope so
0: yeah yeah I so. um Oh, we're uh, actually. No, we have like ten minutes before we hit the um, hour mark. But uh, I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about um, some of the because one thing I, I want to make sure that we do is constantly reevaluate ourselves. And when I say we, I'm talking about the Korean American community. Mm. But specifically for the Christians, um, are there are there things that you've kind of witnessed us doing that we shouldn't be doing, or things that we can be doing better um so basically i'm I'm asking you to critique the korean american church right um not not because i'm like i want to say that you're a hateful person because you're obviously you're not but in 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 hopes of bettering ourselves um in hopes of um yeah growing are there things that you think that you can critique the, the korean american christian community on
1: well, I, I want to be careful about the spirit of critique and shame um, mm-hmm. and and guilt inducement. I I um I have been very critical before, and um one of the things I think is is I have to acknowledge is that I the Korean Church is my is my mother, right? Mm. I, like you know, Augustine says the Church is my mother. Um, I I feel like that way about the Korean Church. Um, but uh, I do think that it's really important for the church to not take itself so seriously in the sense that we are not each, particularly the way it is right now, we have to recognize when the New Testament was written, it was written to the church of a city. Right now, we have, uh, I mean, even in the metro Atlanta area, we have more than, I don't know, 500 Korean churches. Mm-hmm. And each of them takes themselves very seriously, like they're the hope of the world, which I think collectively they are, but individually the reality is they come and go. And I think if we could be a little bit more sober and human about it is we do need to take a look at our, our past and recognize we have a lot of brokenness, um, that really needs healing, um, there's this book that's very interesting to me it's called The Haunting of the Korean Diaspora and it sort of makes this thesis and these are very broad strokes of the book but basically saying that when the J- Japanese colonized Korea and when the Korean war happened so over a you know solid 50 year period there's a the whole nation experienced a collective trauma at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what trauma has a lot of very uh profound effects on a person, but because our people experience that trauma all at the same time, we are all walking sort of traumatized. And what comes out of that trauma is the book posits that we have a collective amnesia and a sense of identity loss. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of anger underneath that which finds itself a lot of demons in sort of alcohol, in workaholism, in uh, pornography, and addictions to all kinds of things. And then a portion of that community comes to immigrate to, the, to America. And there's a different, there's an additional anxiety of like coming to a land where you don't speak the language, where you don't know why everything is so litigious and political and, you're you're a pawn in a game that you really don't know you were playing and you're just trying to make enough money for your. And then the weird part is by the second generation, some of us break through, right? We're we're one of the Asian Americans as a whole, are well educated and high salary earning. But we've there are a lot of dark shadow sides to that. You know, whether it's a lot of self-hate and And alcoholism and anger and broken marriages and broken families that I don't know if the church is really addressing. Um, I know that I know the answer is still Jesus, but you know, Jesus asked a blind man what he wanted Jesus to do, and he still had the answer I would like to see, Mm -hmm. not just to come to you, Jesus, not to just be heard Mm -hmm. by you, Jesus, but. I still need to tell Jesus what it is that I need need healing from. Hmm. And I don't know if the Korean church has gotten that specific about what it is we need to be healed from. We're just, Hmm. well, I just want to know you, Jesus. I want to be with you. Well, he's still going to ask us, what is it that you want me to do? And the power of confession is in that level of specificity. The power of our transformation comes and we know what we're asking Jesus for.
0: Hmm. So I guess the challenge for the Korean American church would be to identify like what we need healing from even, right? Yeah, that's right. Because I, I think, yeah, I think it's common knowledge amongst all of us that there is trauma, but yeah, when you, when you talked about it, when I, I was trying to figure out what specifically, I couldn't really answer um,
1: mm. like
0: the specifics of, of the things that um, we're trying to heal from. But um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the things that um, me, so I'm going to speak personally. One of the things I've been um, struggling with um, is anxiety and Mm. kind of like a little bit of depression. Um, And I, I talk about it openly on the podcast before, but I never really knew why it was happening. Like, I never really knew where it was coming from. Mm. Um, I mean, I have a great job. I have a wife who loves me like crazy. I have a beautiful baby daughter. Um, my parents, um, they're really great. Like, I, there's like no reason on the surface why I should have felt anxiety, I thought. Um, but it wasn't until I actually like started going to therapy um, and yeah. started um, getting professional help um, that I realized there were like deeper rooted, seated things that was um like self-hate like things yep. like where i was you know um like imposter syndrome of like do i really know what i'm doing like, there were a lot of things underneath that um we were able to identify that i, I wouldn't have been able to get to on my own yeah and i would even right. say that um as as wise and awesome as my pastors um counseling from my pastor wouldn't have gotten me there either yeah um so i think um and it's working against us because there's this shame culture in in, in koreans where yeah. if you admit that you're having mental problems like you, you need mental health assistance yeah. um, there's there's something that there's like a veil of shame over you immediately when you admit that um but i think that's something that we need to break through as a as a group and say um if i'm having issues i need to seek help and yeah. i think one thing is because i actually spoke to a pastor about this he uh, he said there are things, um, a lot of a lot of things I can help guide you with. Um, I can pray over you with and things like that. But um, there are a lot of things where um, you need to feel comfortable um, seeking professional help in because pastors are, you know, they're not superheroes. They can't do everything. Like, if I'm sure for you as well, Pastor David, if one of someone from your church came to you with a real like psychological like mental mm. issue, you might not be equipped to address that. Um, but I think. Um, that that's something that we need to be more open about in order to heal from trauma. I think we need to be willing to go out and um, destigmatize uh, getting mental, uh, being uh, mentally healthy. Yeah.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right, David. And I think um, I will say that being a pastor has made me much more, uh, it, my inadequacies and insufficiencies to cover the breadth of issues that I face on a week-to-week basis mm. are made very apparent. <laughs> I am, a vi- like, in se- and seminary doesn't train you for the the breadth of problems that you'll face. Mm. And um, I, I think it's really, and this is why I think the body of Christ, like the community, we need to approach this communally mm. because there are people in the body that are really hurting. And there are a lot of people who, and, and this is the thing: pastors are I know one of the things that I think is hard for a pastor to to do is recognize how human I am.
0: Mm.
1: I may have gone to seminary, I have may have mastered divinity, I have not mastered humanity. I, I and honestly, having a having a child has brought me to my knees because it is uh, ultimately, I think, it's the most humanizing sort of factor, like. Mm to break you out of your selfishness and break you out of the sense that the world doesn't revolve around me. I know very little to impact the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a, a really humanizing process, but I think that's the that's actually where divine work begins is when we all recognize how human we are and how much in need and how in all we should be, that the incarnation is not just a fancy theology, but is a reality for us.
0: Yeah, oh, that's so good. And but I do want to say though it takes a special type of person to be a pastor. Um, so I, I mean I've I've only this is only our second conversation, but I can tell from having this conversation with you that you have a level of of love for the people um, that normal people don't have. Um, so I mean pastors are definitely special, but they don't they're they're not equipped to handle every single situation. So I, I hope when I say that there um, are things. Pastors can't handle. That doesn't diminish um, the uh the abilities that pastors have. Um, the the because pastors are really great spiritual counselors, you know, like they you, you can approach them for a lot of things. And I'm sure you've had many conversations where you were really helpful for for the people that you were talking to. Um, but but I, I think you you put it so eloquently. Um, we're all human. Um, and, and recognizing that. I think. I think that's one of the things, actionable things that the Korean American Church needs to do. I think we tend to put our pastors on the pedestal, um, and really like, and I think it comes from the the culture that we have of respecting our elders, of respecting our authority figures. But I think we take it to a level where we expect too much out of them, um, and and so it it ends up burdening um, pastors. So.
1: Well, that I'm not a, in a I'm not in a Korean American church, so I I don't I don't feel uh, idolized. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's I think that's one of the things that's helped me be uh, become more sober about mm. the work of pastoring. Is it, it you're, you? You may be right. The the calling and vocation, the pastoral vocation, may have something distinctive to it, mm-hmm. but it's not so distinctive that others couldn't do it mm-hmm. and others like, like, you know, that's like saying like, well, you need, there's something special about parents. They're just really phenomenal. Well, actually you just need a child and that will make you a parent. And if yeah. you're, if you're gonna be really present, if you're gonna show up to that, the child will teach you how to be a parent. It's mm-hmm. gonna kill you, but if you let it, you will be changed.
0: Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Well, um, we're at our hour mark. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, Any any kind of last thoughts and anything that, that you wanted to discuss today that we didn't get to? Oh,
1: I mean, I don't, <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground and I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to listen and ask questions.
0: I know. I think, uh, man, this was, it's a very, this is a very dense episode today. Um, we, we talked <sighs> about a lot of things, but I think, if the listener um really takes time to think about these things and consider them i think yeah there can be transformation that happens uh, within the Korean american churches that yeah that put a yeah that, that takes us in a more positive uh direction um and like i said before i think uh, post covid would be a really good time to for it to happen because um yeah the the, the church has been shaken up so much um, again pastor David, thank you so much for your time today um thank you for for your wisdom and yeah um, your willingness to share um these things um, it was really enlightening for me and I'm sure the, the listeners um, yeah will be just as enlightened um yeah. if if people have any uh, questions for you or any comments for you are you are you open to receiving them
1: oh sure sure yeah.
0: so guys um any questions or any comments that you might have, from today's episode, feel free to email me at IHTHTPodcast. That's I Hope They Hear This abbreviated podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at I Hope They Hear This or on Twitter at IHTHTPodcast. And any any comments or questions towards Pastor David, I will make sure he gets them. Um, so yeah, please please feel free to engage with us. Well, thank you guys so much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time.
1: Thanks, Ken.